day in the traditional church calendar is the day that we hear this story. We remember that in the days leading up to Pentecost, Jesus left his disciples, having been resurrected and spent time with them, preparing them for the work that was to come. He that ascended into heaven, leaving his disciples behind and the church about to be birthed. And so it is to this story at the beginning of Acts, preparation for Pentecost next week, that we turn today. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Lord, the disciples asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? On Tuesday this past week, the news started to break that there had been a shooting in an elementary school in the small town of Uvalde, Texas. Details were sparse at first, offering just the barest outlines of a story that would be filled in with absolute tragedy. I spent the week more or less attached to my phone, constantly refreshing my news application, reading every new news story when it came out, and feeling my heart break over and over again as the details came into focus. An award ceremony that morning at the elementary school, an 18-year-old gunman with two AR-15-style rifles and hundreds of rounds of ammunition, two adjoining classrooms, a single fourth-grade class, and more than 100 rounds fired, 17 injured, two teachers killed, 19 fourth-grade students, children, just 8, 9, 10, or 11 years old, killed. And the details have only gotten worse from there. And there are still questions to be answered, but I suppose that I might have just one. Lord, will your kingdom come now on earth? as it is in heaven. And all this in a long history of tragedies from gun violence in the country in which we live, the racially motivated mass shooting in a Buffalo supermarket, and all the shootings in churches and schools and nightclubs and concerts and movie theaters and open-air public spaces, and the list goes on. And the gun violence that has touched the lives of so many individuals in ways that go less reported but are profoundly and deeply tragic. Lord, will your kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven? This question has long been held at the center of the Christian faith with varying perceptions of how it might be answered. At the turn of the century and through the start of the 20th century, those early 1900 years, there was a real sense of optimism among some Protestants, that the kingdom of God was within reach and beginning to break through into the world. Proponents of this worldview felt strongly that the societal ills of the world, all of the instances of social, societal injustice and inequality, could be addressed and corrected. And after all, they had amassed an incredible track record up to that point. Slavery 
had been eradicated from the country. Laws were passed to prevent the exploitation of child labor. Unions were forming in just about every workplace imaginable. Alcoholism was being addressed in prohibition. Women's right to vote was recognized by the 19th Amendment, and the economic upswell felt like a rising tide that would lift all boats. With a dwindling list of evils left to eradicate, the kingdom of God felt close at hand. And the sentiments of this theology were captured in the hymnody of the time, in the way that every theological movement influences the writers and the musicians of its time. And so we can still today trace this theological thread through the hymns that we have in our hymnal, written in that time. This particular thread of theological optimism, the view that the kingdom of God was just a moment away, is particularly apparent in a hymn written by Frederick Hosmer called Forward Through the Ages. We're going to share a few hymns through the sermon this morning. I invite you to listen to the second verse of this hymn and see if you can hear Hosmer's sense that the world stood on the precipice of the kingdom of God, needing just a few faithful workers to push it through to the coming age. And notice particularly that the hymn refers to the work of the faithful, but does not mention God as a moving and working force. Let's listen. Wider grows the kingdom, reign of love and light. For it we must labor till our faith is sight. Prophets have proclaimed it, martyrs testified, poets sung its glory, heroes for it died. Forward through the in unbroken line. Move the faithful spirit at the call divine. This theological position, this optimistic sense the kingdom of God was nearly about to break through, would hit its apex in about 1920 and quickly lost its optimism over the coming decades. You may be able to imagine some of the significant historical events that happened following the relative peace and stability of the 1920s. There was the Great Depression beginning in 1929, and then World War II in 1939, and the profoundly optimistic sentiment which had weathered the First World War could not outlast the Second. And optimism gave way to a realistic despair, a hopeless estimation of the world that took in all of humanity's terrors and evils, asking still, Lord, will your kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven? And the world seemed a bleak place, completely untethered and separate from the kingdom of God. And so there was no expectation of drawing the world into the kingdom, but instead looking ahead to Christ's return expecting God to save the faithful from the depravity of this place. It was thought that the world could not be saved, but at least we could be saved from 
the world. This sentiment can be found in a great number of hymns from this era, including one you may know, He Lives, written in 1933 by Alfred Ackley. It's a beautiful hymn and one that I love. In fact, all of the hymns we're mentioning today are ones that I love. But if we listen to this one, we can hear this theological idea. We hear the second verse. And I invite you to see how Ackley references the troubles of this world and introduces as a response Christ-saving action of the individual and the individual alone. And in contrast to the hymn we just heard, we might notice how Jesus is the only moving force of note, leaving for us nothing at all to do. Here's this hymn. loving care, and though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives to He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. as opposed to anywhere else in the world. It's an important question. Lord, will your kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven? We have, at times, answered with the optimism of those who can surely bring it about by our own hands. And we have, at times, answered with the despair of those who have nothing to do but await the coming Christ. Lord, the disciples asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And it's the right question to ask. It is always the right question to ask. And there have been times the disciples have gotten this wrong and imagined that the culmination of Jesus' ministry would come in some sort of political upheaval that would overthrow the the Roman rule and give back the Jewish people their autonomous authority But throughout the Gospels, the disciples have been corrected in this. They've been shown that the kingdom Jesus speaks of will surely exist in this world, but is far more expansive than they might have imagined. And Jesus has demonstrated it repeatedly throughout the course of his ministry, healing the sick and casting out demons, restoring the excluded to their community and breaking down societal divisions speaking against the political and religious authorities that oppressed people, lifting up the poor and the lowly, and proclaiming the good news of God's faithful reign. Jesus quoted once to his home congregation, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to preach liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to preach the year of the Lord's favor. And he declared once to a crowd on a mountainside, Blessed are you poor, 
for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And Jesus said these things and ministered in this way in a tradition that followed the long tradition upheld by the prophets of Israel who proclaimed hope in despair and repentance in optimism forever turning their people back to their God who held peace and justice in an omnipotent hand. The people would beat their weapons into gardening instruments, the prophets said, and God would draw them together in a feast. The kingdom of God would come. The disciples had seen the evil of the world up close in the crucifixion of their Savior, and they must have longed for God's rescue to be lifted away and saved. And yet also the disciples had seen the resurrection and must have longed to know that they were close, that the life that had burst forth in Christ's emergence from the tomb would be close at hand, that they could optimistically strive forward into the kingdom. And so when Jesus says to wait for what the Father has promised them after he has told them all about the coming of the kingdom of God, they ask him, is now the time? And Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has set for this. This is not an answer to the question. Not really. In his response, it's clear that the kingdom of God is coming but Jesus will not release us from the tension of the question. To tell us that it's soon may lead us to believe that we can tip the scales with our own strength. And to tell us that it is too far away may entice us to do nothing at all. Rather, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. For it is not up to us, but we have a part to play. God, in God's own power, is bringing about the kingdom of God, and God wants to work through us. We are to be witnesses, those who have caught a glimpse of the justice and grace breaking forth into this world, who can now proclaim its coming. We are to be witnesses, those who have been transformed in God's love and forgiveness, who can now seek the transformation of the whole world. We are to be witnesses, those who have been brought back from death to life, who can now stand against the death-dealing forces of wickedness and evil so all God's children might live and thrive. With this instruction, To his disciples, Jesus is lifted up and disappears from their sight. And they stand there for a moment, straining their eyes to the heavens, squinting against the sun, reflecting off the white clouds. When two men in white robes are suddenly next to them and looking rather suspiciously like the two white-robed men who met the wandering disciples at the empty tomb. Why are you standing here? And looking toward heaven, they ask, Jesus will return in the same way you saw him go. Jesus would return. And so in the same way that John the Baptist knew once that his work 
was to prepare the way of the Lord, so now do the disciples have their instruction as well. To prepare the way of the Lord. We cannot bring the kingdom in under our own power, but the kingdom is still coming. We cannot bring the kingdom in under our own power, but we are involved nonetheless. We cannot bring the kingdom in under our own power, but God empowers us to proclaim the good news. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so we know not when nor how much we may have to endure, but we know enough to pray and to work. This understanding is powerfully captured in the tradition of the black church, which has known suffering in slavery and in oppression and in discrimination, and yet has long endured with a grasp on the truth. We can work for God's kingdom today, and we shall live there one day, whether God's kingdom meets us in life or we join it in death. In 1916, the great preacher, theologian, and gospel music composer drew on this understanding in his hymn called Beams of Heaven, As I Go. I'd like to invite us to hear how in the third verse he describes a fight against evil, one fought here on earth in the power of God. Before then, the refrain pulls together this hope held both in this world and in the one to come. Let's hear it. Harder yet may be the fight, right may often yield to might, wickedness a while may reign, Satan's cause may seem to gain. There is a above with hand of power and heart of love if I am right he'll fight my battle I shall have peace someday I do not I do not know how long it will be. Someday, someday, though we know not the day nor the season, someday, in a day we long for and pray for and work toward. And so the people of God and our own United Methodist tradition calls us to witness to the kingdom of God and to work for the coming of the kingdom of God. And so it is the United Methodist way to speak out 
against racism and gun violence, to work against poverty and injustice, to seek freedom for the oppressed, and to repent of our own complicity in systems of inequality. For this I know, if Jesus leads me, I shall get home someday. Lord, the disciples asked, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or the seasons. Rather, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses even to the end of the earth. Thanks be to God. Friends, I invite us to stand in body or in spirit as we continue in worship.